directly with the coach. Man. D20 Radio, your gamers roll. May the Emperor's wrath forever cleanse our souls. Hello listeners, and welcome to episode 90 of the Grimdark Podcast. This is James. And this is Mike. If you're joining us for the first time, we're a podcast devoted to role-playing in the 41st millennium, using whatever game system will come our way. In this case, we're looking at the Wrath and Glory system, upcoming from Ulysses Games, but we have also covered the Fantasy Flight Games editions in the past. Yep. Every episode, we talk about the, the game system, the setting, all that sort of stuff. Our, our show format's been a bit uh, mixed up of late while we wait for the new edition to come out. Yeah. But before we get into today's show topics, let's quickly talk about our own gaming over the past month. I think we're doing about one episode a month now, would you say? That's uh, at the moment, month? yeah, and until we actually get more things to talk about, it seems a bit redundant turning up and going, yeah. Yeah, well, look, <laughs> hey, my, my, my travel's been extensive, too. I've been, I've been in three different countries in the past two months, not including this one as well, so yeah. it's uh, it's been a bit rough for me to get together to do a show, and this will definitely be our last show of, uh, of 2017 as well, so yeah. I'll take this opportunity now to wish you all a Merry Christmas as well. And a Happy uh, New Year. Exactly right, and we will definitely be back in the New Year with, with more Wrath and Glory news. Uh, but yeah, so in the past month, uh, what have we done? So we actually, we have played quite a bit of 40k once again. Yeah, we? yeah, we've had a few 40k games. Yeah, it's, it's still not really going your way, Mike. You're oh, still I, I have not won a single game yet. <laughs> it's, it's funny because I was, so, so the last game that we did was actually, I was, I was spectating, so Richard was going to be myself playing um, my Eldar against my uh, friend Steve's uh, Thousand Sons. Yeah. Um, and then Mike was going to come along and spectate and Steve would ask Mike to bring some Chaos figures in case he wanted to change up his army so Mike had got together his Death Guard and suddenly really, Mike really wanted to play his Death Card. And then Steve got here and didn't want to play Thousand Sons again so I said okay well I will watch and you can play one of my armies. So Steve took Salamanders so it was uh, Mike's uh, Death, Death Guard, Guard against Steve Salamander. Steve that's it. And a major tactical mistake on my... Well, I, I know what it was. It, okay, it was the fives and sixes. Because in most cases, because you're, uh, uh, the Death Guard have a high toughness, in most cases, Steve was rolling to wound on fives and sixes and was rolling really, really well. And all you need to do is roll fives and sixes to get your disgustingly resilient ability off to... Yeah, the, the, which... the fact that out of, I think at one stage, it was 27 guys got killed and I passed... One disgustingly resilient save. <laughs> That's it, yeah, so it was the the fives and sixes were just going one way in that game and not the other. So it's it's one of those things. Like I mean, you could have the best tactics in the world, but luck could really let you down. Oh, I <laughs> certainly wasn't using the best tactics in the world. Yeah. Okay. So. And, and conversely, I've seen people that have had really fantastic luck, but they've been really let down by their tactics as well. So yeah. I, I don't know. I don't. I, I'm trying to remember if I if I'd had the game against orcs that I played. Um, before the last episode or after the last episode if I mentioned that yeah yeah, you did mention that I did mention that yeah. one yeah where it was <laughs> and then that, that player who I uh, have been watching on, on Facebook as well because he was really keen to see what happened with chapter improved and did it improve his orc stomper for him he actually had a hashtag going on Facebook which was hashtag pray for stomper <laughs> uh, but he got no love in chapter approved either so yeah. um, what else role playing wise we've been playing Star Wars again yep, certainly yep, Star Wars. Um, 
we're actually playing Star Wars after this episode tonight. We're, we're going from the episode into gaming. So if it feels like a truncated episode, maybe it's because we're trying to force our way through to, to get into some gaming. Uh, what else we've been playing? Don't worry, everyone will be late, so we'll have plenty of time. <laughs> uh, we've been, I've been playing, I've run Numenera again, I've run Scion again, just this weekend past, so it's been a good sort of busy time. We haven't done D&D again yet, the D&D GM has been sort of needing time to get his stuff together before he runs it, and he's promised it will happen after Christmas. Yeah. So we're going to hold him to that, we're not going to let that campaign just, just wither on the vine. No, uh, no. Unfortunately, I did hear about a, a, a campaign I was aware of um, that fell apart the other day because two of the players are now getting a divorce so that campaign Ouch. yeah so, <laughs> yeah that, that could derail it unfortunately for you know I, don't, I know the GM and I know that she was really committed to the game as well so it's, it's unfortunate but that, 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 these things can happen I guess as well so yeah, yeah. and we have spoken in the past about how you handle it when you you know your campaign falls apart in, in such a way yeah, I uh, suppose we didn't really mention divorces being a possible cause, though. I yeah, suppose we, I it think, is. I think we did probably mention, like, interpersonal conflict. I guess that's a form it, of interpersonal conflict. It's a form conflict. of interpersonal conflict yeah. involving um, lawyers. <laughs> exactly, yes. <laughs> uh, but I um, uh, I actually was in a, a gaming shop in, in New York while I was there recently as well. And uh, uh, just thinking, because we've observed in the past that you know gone are the days of gaming stores having you know 30 different systems up on their on their wall you know it's usually just you know Pathfinder and 5th Ed D&D and you know a handful of others you know that for all the time the FFG 40k lines were out they were usually pretty consistently there but this one gaming store I go to upstate New York Millennium Games they usually have a nice smattering of uh, of independent games there yeah. and uh, do you remember the game Cold and Dark I yes. Bought, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so, Cold and Dark I mentioned on the podcast before. This was a really great horror game. I bought on a like a drive-through RPG indie game sale, like three or four years ago. So I paid like five US dollars for it. You know, yeah. It was a really, really good. It, it game. was a great system for one-shot games. Exactly. Yeah. You may as well have called it Dead Space the role-playing game because it was clearly spiritually sort of influenced by by Dead Space. Anyway, I saw they actually had the Cold and Dark core book in in the store. Uh, and it was like it's a really thick book like it was one of those books like along the same sort of thing this is like a core book from the 40k lines for example I thought okay. wow they, they must have really bulked this out because that PDF felt quite small and so I flicked through it and went no no this is page for page the exact thing I had in that PDF so I, I guess when you, all you have is a PDF to go on it makes it can make games seem smaller but no that was a fully featured game I was quite surprised to see that I, I tossed up about getting Genesis while I was there. Genesis was out there. It hasn't actually arrived yeah. in Australia yet, but always is the case, like, unless I was going to come home and start playing it straight away, you know, I'm better off waiting for it to arrive in Australia because it adds significant weight to my baggage and I can't carry other stuff as well. So yeah. I didn't buy it, but it was good to see that's out. Although I had a flick through it. I haven't had a chance to really read it yet. I know the PDF is now out on, on um, DriveThruRPG, but one of the things I quite like about the Star Wars system, which is inspired Genesis, is the talent trees per per uh, career yeah. as such yeah. and I didn't really see that represented in the Genesis game like it had all the, had all the regular mechanics of the special dice pools and the sort of same sort of skill mechanics but we didn't really see that that well, talent tree list so what about artwork that sort of thing does it look good does does it look good yeah I mean it's always hard to say with books that are generic role playing systems because they have a, a mix match of artwork you know, here's some fantasy stuff here's some sci-fi here's some steampunk you know it, it doesn't and, and obviously because they use different artists yeah it, it can make a book feel a little bit disjointed when you know yeah. some of the stuff is in well that, that's what kind of what I'm getting at did it feel like the whole book flowed together or did it feel like a whole bunch of someone went to 
deviant art and just copied someone's. Oh no no no! no. The, the artwork quality was was certainly good. I, I don't know, like I don't know if it's something to do with the way the page was printed, like the bleed, but it felt like a lot. Um, the, the pages seem uh, f- more faded than I'm used to in, in a game book. Now, it may be I'm used to the fact that, like, with the 40k lines and then with Star Wars, they always have, like, strong coloured borders, for example, and this one didn't really have borders, but the pages in the artwork felt quite subdued and, and almost, like, faded. Like, it almost felt like when you buy books that are printed on recycled paper. Yeah. You know, how the, how the paper quality feel the same. So it was, it was odd. I don't know if they'd bought this one as a print-on-demand or something for the store because, as I said, they're not out in the store in Australia yet, so... Yeah, it could uh, be a print-on-demand. The quality of the print-on-demand isn't that great, usually. It's possible, yeah. Honest. But I have asked my, my FLGS to make sure they get me a copy of Genesis when it does come out, you know, so yeah. I'm happy playing Star Wars right now, but it is a decent enough system that I'd be prepared to, to use it. But I, I've well, had a mixed history with, with generic... Universal games. Oh, well, I'll be honest, generic systems usually don't hold my interest long enough because it's really dependent on how the Games Master has put together their world. Yeah. And if they haven't put enough thought into it, it, it shows. Yeah, the, the one I will say I did like was the original alternative, which was you know, yeah. Wizards of the Coast first foray into, well, sorry, first foray if you don't include things like the original um, Gamma World, that sort of stuff. But <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah that, that, that was during the second D&D days, was their foray into. Um, yeah, sci-fi adventure sort of stuff, you know. So. Spelljammer. Yeah, <laughs> that was it. I was actually Spelljammer would have been, I guess, a similar time because there was no yeah, Spelljammer in first edition. But yeah. we're really dragging the bottom of the barrel for old game systems here, Mike. Um, but Spelljammer's quality stuff, <laughs> as long as you never actually play it. Well, don't worry, no one ever did. <laughs> there are, there'll be players out there who loved it definitely. Oh. Um, so the one thing I did actually pay attention to while I was at Millennium was we've had a sort of talk not really on the podcast but as an aside about the whole Australia tax thing you know oh. especially when, now we've been buying GW stuff again about you know everyone in our group which is about how much the price is different and I actually sat down and I looked at the prices of the gear in uh, in North America and I found some things where like certainly with the books uh, and the card decks for example uh, there was a significant price change between North America and Australia. Like, you know, um, to use, I'll use an example. So a Codex book in Great Britain is £25. Okay, so £25, depending on your exchange rate at the time, is about 33 US dollars, 30, 32 US dollars. Yeah. Uh, and that book in the US is basically $40. So the jump there. And then, if you were to take £25 in Australian dollars, you're talking about 46 48 Australian dollars. If you were to take the 40 US dollars in Australian dollars, about 53 Yet the books here are 70 um, So, you know, there's, there's a jump from... And it's hard to say that's really true, because in Australia, the, the book price is what we pay, uh, whereas in, in both Great Britain and North America, you pay your, your sales tax on top of that, that listed cost. Yeah, stuff, but so. sales tax isn't much more than 11%. Well, it depends on, on what state you're in, I guess. None of them are 25%, 30%, let's be honest. Yeah, and, and okay, let's face it, when you're shipping books, books are heavy. You know, like a, a, a pallet of books is a lot heavier than a pallet of Yeah, of but things. as I said when you tried to bring this up, a shipping container of books is, doesn't matter. Shipping container of books, shipping container of packing peanuts costs the same amount to ship over here. Yeah, like it's the so, size, it's not the weight. No, well, so someone that um, that ships things internationally, so there's this thing known as cubic weight. So I don't remember the exact formula, but you pretty much you take you times the height by the width by the by the depth, 
to get your cubic meters and then it's like cubic meters times like I think 250 kilograms and that is your cubic weight and you pay based upon the highest of the cubic weight or the actual weight and almost always with almost everything I've ever shipped the cubic weight has always exceeded the actual weight um, but I don't know whether books might be different and you pay a bit extra for weight I, I don't know but um, but you're right. Normally, when you ship by container, you simply pay. I will have one forty-foot container on this boat, please. Yes. Uh, and that's the you pay the cost of a forty-foot container. But um, yeah. But that, that being said, looking at the models, though, I found the models were actually like the US dollar price was about the same as the Australian dollar price. So you're talking one model I looked at was the Interrogator Chaplain for the Dark Angels. I'll, I'll be honest. Yeah. It depends on the model. It does. It, it, does. it depends on how old the model is because it seems to be with Games Workshop the way they do their marketing for price yeah. is they don't tend to go back and put the price of older models up as often as newer things yep. so a new box of five terminators will cost more than an old box of five terminators even though they could be identical in weight and complexity and all that sort of thing um, so for example chaos marines yep. a, a box of chaos marines with a rhino is ninety dollars yeah you know, that's fairly expensive, but when you look at something like a Land Raider, it's over a hundred dollars. Yeah. You know. Well, I mean, so what I looked at as an example was the Interrogator Chaplain, Dark Angels Interrogator Chaplain, which is a figure I'm looking at by now that I actually bought the Dark Angels Codex, uh, was thirty US dollars or yeah. thirty five Australian dollars. And yeah, thirty US dollars is easier, like thirty-seven Australian dollars, and that's even before you add on the sales, sales tax, tax, which we don't we don't pay, or it's included in the cost anyway. So, but, but again, it comes down to what the model is. Yeah, as well. I also bought a Khan the of, Betrayer here. Yeah. It's sixty dollars, and a yeah. squad of berser- twelve berserkers is sixty-two dollars. Oh, but that's but that, that's yeah, the difference is there. I mean, I, I actually ended up paying. I think I I bought a squad of um, striking, not striking scorpions, um, swooping hawks, swooping hawks. I don't know why. Uh, well. Because they were the only aspect warriors I didn't have, and they, you can't buy them on the shelf here. You've got to do them at my mail, and they actually had them on the shelf. In yeah, the that's because no one wants to buy them because they're crap. Anyway, they, they, I think by the time I converted, it was like sixty-four Australian dollars, and they're seventy Australian dollars here. So it was much of a much less, really. Yeah. yeah, exactly right. And I got the the box with artwork. Even when you buy it by mail over here, you get just the plain white boxes. So <laughs> Although, it's funny. I, I've developed this habit now. When I go into gaming stores um, in Australia, this is. Invariably, at some point, I'll look behind the counter, and somewhere behind the counter will be a whole stack of white, unmarked GW boxes. And invariably, somebody has like asked that store to order in something from mail order, and then has not picked it up, or has cancelled the order, and that store has gotten something in mail order. So I'll always say at the time, like, oh, what's that back there out of interest? You know, just because they'll often, if it's something they've just been dumped with, they can't sell, they want to sell it cheap as well. So, yeah. and every time I've asked that, it's always been something they want to sell cheap, but it's never been something I wanted. It's usually something from from Warhammer Fantasy or Age of Sigma or an army I don't collect like Necrons or, uh. or Orcs or something but I just find it funny it seems like every single gaming store has some you know some, some, some yeah, cancelled GW orders so they keep ordering things for deadbeat yeah. <laughs> although I gotta, I gotta quickly whinge and this is this has turned a very long intro but I'm gonna quickly whinge that uh, so a group of us we've decided we're gonna do a, a 40k uh, campaign yeah now we're gonna start after Christmas and I've decided I'm gonna play Imperial Guard and I sat down and I, I worked out an Imperial Guard um, I'm, I'm happy with. I you know, watched a couple of tactical videos, read the book well, decided on what unit I want to play and everything. You know, mapped it all out on Battlescribe, worked out what it's going to be. Went out and bought the figures. I went, I, I, I shopped around different gaming stores to work out where I'd get the best price on the different things and some things I had to pay full price from the mail order catalogue. Got all, all the parts in, 
on the last day, my last thing arrived. I also got chapter approved. Suddenly, my army's too overspent by ten points. <laughs> it was at least it's um, only ten points. Yeah, it was easily fixed. I just took yeah. track guards off my hellhound. But yeah, I, wo- I worked out a massive death guard army, sorted it all out, worked it all out. Then death guard came out, and I had suddenly had a, a hundred and seventy something points left. Extra, yeah, extra. Well, that's it. I've so gone. I recently went through all both ways. army lists and worked out, and most, almost all of them have dropped down, but not guard. Guard have only been, yeah, especially if you like conscripts. But I, I don't play conscripts now. But yeah. pretty much, yeah. First off, they they got the penalty to receive orders. Then commissars got nerfed, um, and then now they put the price of, of conscripts up so that they're the same price as regular guardsmen. It's just like they just GW just don't want you playing conscripts, you know, which is which is odd because they're usually high figure, you know, squads, I guess. So they yeah, well, that's it. There is still an advantage to playing them if you've got a huge squad of them. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, if you want if you want to have that gigantic sort of tar pit meat shield sort of thing, then they're yeah. they're, 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 they're they, they die pretty fast, especially when you get to the morale phase. But uh, <laughs> yes. they, they still, you know, eight, eight of them can run away in morale phase, and they're still yeah. perfectly fine. You know, <laughs> still a viable skies squad. Um, Necromunda came out as well. Yeah, that's it. I mean, that's that's I guess more of a news section topic. So let's yeah, we'll, we'll we leave that. Yes, yeah, so we'll talk yeah. about the news. So, All right, well, that's 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 an exceptional intro. <laughs> We will do our news now, uh, talk about what's going on in the in the 40k world, and then uh, the other, really the topic for today is news, because in the time since our last episode, we've had two um, designer diary updates from Ulysses, yep. uh, one of which literally came out the day we published our last episode, which was a bit of bad timing, uh, but we've started to learn a few things about the system now, so we're going to actually, we'll mention those in news, but we're going to move them to our main discussion topic and actually talk about the rules that have been discussed and, and just discuss what that we think that means for the game. Yeah. So, we've wasted a lot of time at the start of this episode, that's alright. It's just even longer before we get to go play Star Wars. Let's uh, move on to the news section. Okay. Command acknowledged accessing Imperial archives. Okay, so under the news, actually let me just quickly stop for a moment and just apologise in advance. So, uh, I'm going to let you know, I'm going to break the fourth wall here and, and give you some better information. Today, where we're recording, it's a good 40 degrees Celsius, 106 Fahrenheit, roughly. Uh, So Mike and I have retired to my office to do this recording. Uh, It's not the best place acoustically, given I've got an air conditioning uh, system on and my fan on to keep it as cool, and my computer is also vibrating under the desk. So I always find when I record in here, we get a little bit of a low hum through the episode, which I do my best to edit out, but it's not as good audio quality as when we do it in my living room downstairs, which is better acoustically. Uh, so I do apologise if uh, the sound is not as good quality, just letting you know why. It's, it's only for our comfort, not for yours. It's just taking you 90 episodes to explain why people are hearing this low hum through the episode. <laughs> no, 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 yeah. Fantastic, you know, Joe. Fantastic. Because usually when we record in summer, we record downstairs because it's cooler down there. It just happens to be that today because we're recording at a time when children are home and if we do it downstairs, we'll be doing the same room with our son to play Lego Batman and he'll be constantly running around saying, Daddy, Daddy, I need help with this. <laughs> so we're not doing that. We're doing it up here where it's nice and cool. There are no children, but there is a low hum. Anyway, back to the news. Uh, starting off, we'd always talk about uh, Wrath and Glory news first, and of course, we've seen two designer diaries yep. uh, in recent times. The first one being about the dice system. Uh, the second one explaining tiers. Uh, I'm going to say now we'll, we'll, we'll put those aside for the moment, and we'll talk about those in the main section of the show. Uh, the only thing I'll actually quickly call a little attention to as a, as a side thing was uh, so if you follow um, Ross Watson, the, the, he's the at the Ross Watson on Twitter. Uh, he recently posted this comment what was that? I'm paraphrasing here but it was like once when I was a consultant somebody asked me how long it would take 
to go from a game or to redesign the existing game concept all the way to going to publication and I estimated six months glad to see I was about right and straight out I sort of posed like oh I start counting the months since Wrath and Glory was first announced it, it is absolutely no indication this is Wrath and Glory I just sort of it's a funny little topic to bring up oh speculation that we're going to see it soon and because all the sort of the things are pointing towards seeing it at Gen Con yep. uh, which is still a good eight months eight plus months away at the moment but uh, certainly uh, hopefully that means that they, they're doing well if that is what they're talking about and uh, we'll see how we go but uh, yeah, certainly the only sort of real news on Wrath and Glory has been in the last um, uh, couple of months with the designer diaries. Actually, I will say that I'm surprised we've seen nothing at all from uh, Cubicle 7 with, with regard to the Fantasy and um, Age, of Age of Sigmar games, because they were announced before... We've seen Ulysses. a little bit of stuff about them. The other day they put up a poll saying, do you want to vote for them for most anticipated game of 2018? Oh, yeah, so, so, well, sorry, no, I thought Ulysses... Call attention to the poll, but they, they were, were in, they were in the poll. They were, they were in, in the, the poll. poll. Yes. Yeah, but but yeah. the only thing I've seen coming out of Cubicle Seven, and if you guys have seen something else, please point me a link towards it. Is just announced that they put all the books on to, back onto Drive Through RPG of the older editions. Yeah. So uh, I, I, I wonder how. Like, so far, they haven't responded to any of our attempts to reach out and have a chat with them. Yeah. Uh, so I guess we're to see. Watch this space, I guess. But yeah, certainly, the guys at uh, Ulysses have been really good when it comes to, to chatting with us as well. So and that's. My thanks to Ross and the whole team at Ulysses for that as well. Yeah. Uh, okay, so what about other news? You mentioned on the GW side, obviously, Necromunda yeah, came Necromunda's out. Yeah, Necromunda's out. Have you... What have you heard about it post its release out of interest? I've read through the books. Yeah, I mean, have you, I mean, have you heard feedback from the market at all, so... Um, okay, I'll be honest. The general feedback's mostly positive. Yep. People like the game. The game makes sense. It's more complicated than... The old Necromunda, because yeah. you've got things like cool and intelligence and other skills and stats that didn't exist before. Yeah. The main complaint that I'm hearing is the fact that at the moment there are only rules for two gangs, Goliath and Escher. If you want to set up a campaign, say five people, you're going to get duplicates of, of some of the gangs. Yeah, so they there, have, they've, no... they've, announced, they've announced Gang War 2. So they've far. announced Gang War 2, but they've announced that only one extra gang for that, which is Orlox. Orlox, yeah, which is, that makes you happy, isn't it? Or, no, it was, or it was Van Sar you used to play. Which one did you play? Escher. Oh, you played Escher? Sorry, okay. It never bothered me. I, like, I used to play... very first gang I played was Orlox because they came in the box. Yeah, okay, yeah. It was Orlox and Goliath, you know, the plastic push-fit two-part... <laughs> Yes. The Orlock Gangers, what I had at the very beginning, but Escher was the eventual gang I played. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, if they're releasing one gang war every three months with one gang in it, it's going to take a long time before all the gangs are out, and there's a good chance people are going to lose interest in it. But isn't this is what they did with, with Blood Bowl recently? Like, Blood yeah. Bowl, they've been releasing, like, teams at a time sort of thing? And... But they've been releasing them a lot faster. They yeah. have, honestly. Because it's a lot easier to release a Blood Bowl rules for a team because the teams are all the same, pretty much. Yeah. Here they're releasing them in, in separate books with additional rules attached. And this is probably one of the bits of controversy, I guess, about Necromunda, is that, that in first edition Necromunda, your, your gang was for the most part an aesthetic choice like every single juve had the same stat line every single ganger had the same stat line in this one um, each gang is a very distinct set of rules yeah, yeah they're not just different skills they always used to have different skill choices yeah. which they still do but now also their stats are different as yeah well. the gear they can get is different you know 
Goliath Ganger starts with strength 4, toughness 4. Inertia yeah. Ganger starts with strength 3, toughness 3. Yeah. The most you can ever increase a stat, those stats is by 1. That's it. Meaning the Escher Ganger will never be as strong. Uh, and this has been the complaint that than in, the, in the gang war, war rules that uh, Escher Jews start with strength 2. So they never, they'll never go above strength 3. And that, that no other announced rules has a, a ganger with strength two and people are suddenly calling it's the, waving the sexism flag all of a sudden yeah, once again but I mean oh, uh, do they have much better agility <laughs> and initiative you know yeah. I mean I, I remember the old Escher Jew figures from the original edition as well that were, they, they were they, tiny yeah they were like, <laughs> like little teenage girls sort of thing yeah, yeah. but um, no I mean look I, I, I like it I have read through the rules I haven't played the game yet I'm suffering from uh, like I complained recently about the fact that I re- had all these regrets around when I bought Death Mask and how I assembled the figures as they were presented, you know, in the box rules, and you know I would have done them differently if I was making them just for 40k play. And once again, like I can sit here and I can make the Escher figures and the Goliath figures exactly as they're described in the example gangs, but I really, I really want to sort of play it first, get a feel for the gangs, and then make a gang the way I want it and build the miniatures that way. So it's one of those sort of chicken and egg. Problems where I, you know, yeah. I don't want to play it till I played it. <laughs> I just need to hang around at Games Workshop store and try and convince one of the players there to to show me how the game works. But the one thing that actually struck me as odd was the fact they put facing in. Yes, well. yeah, facings back in. Yeah, and, and the thing I thought and was templates. Funny, templates, yes. Well, the templates were in um, in Shadow War as well, and again. But yeah. the, the thing I found quite funny was um, so it pointed out that that some figures. It could be hard to work out what way they're facing is because the poses are quite dynamic. Yeah. Uh, so I said, if in doubt, align the facing with the way the head is looking. Yeah. Or and, put a mark on the base. Or put a mark on the base. Yeah, because the example it includes in the in the, in the book is aligned with the way the torso is facing, and the head's facing over a different direction. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a minor thing just in there in terms of their artwork. But uh, yeah. look, I think it's good. I think it's a welcome change. I, I found it funny that they've gone for the sort of more board game style for what you get out of the box and yet you've got the rules for three dimensional play like the old Necromunda is a separate book as well so in game but but I think it it was cheaper than the standard GW board game wasn't it yeah it was cheaper than the standard box set standard box sets I think is usually around about 180 no more like in Australia 225 is the standard price they're they're 150 the new Necromunda is 150 yeah and it's like 50 bucks for gang war so pretty much by the time you get gang war it's pretty much back to the same price as something like by the time you get Necromunda gang war the Doors and barricades and the tokens. But you get those. It with, works out about the same. You get those with the game, though. You, you get the. You do, but yeah, probably not enough. <laughs> <laughs> it's never enough. Um, yeah, because yeah, when they bought the game, they also bought out you know the card deck separately and the dice separately and the extra gangs and the bases. You can even buy the bases separately. Yeah, that's it. So yeah, just yeah, I, I mean, there may be people out there who just wanted to get gang war and try and play, not even use the sort of base rules of the game. I'm not sure, but. Yeah, well, I can certainly certainly see people. Yeah, I suppose it. if you had a group of friends and one person had the core rules as such, everybody else just wanted to do their own gang. Then that'd wouldn't been, really need it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah, it's, uh, it's up to you. But yeah, I think it's been well received. Um, I think that. Yes. Yeah, so what else have we seen from from GW recently? I mean, so this month we've seen both the Bangles and the Dangles get a uh, get a release. The Blue Angels and the Dark Angels have both had their codex come out. Yep. Um, this is, I guess, the first... Well, no, I was going to say it's the first faction-based thing we've seen, but we've already seen Grey Knights, haven't we? So And Death Guard. And Death Guard, too, even, yeah. So we, we, we're already seeing quite a few like individual faction army lists. Yeah. I mean, have you had any thoughts about the, the Blind Angels and Dark Angels releases? Um, 
having a, I've had a very very slight look at the Dark Angels. Yeah. Um, Blood Angels, I had a bit more of a look at, and it looks okay. It's a bit odd that for their relics, um, it seems that they've nerfed the um, successor chapters. They don't have access to many of the relics. Okay, yeah. I mean, the, which, the, the successor chapters mentioned the Dark Angels book, but not really much in terms of the rules. It, as well, exactly. Yeah. yeah, it just feels a little bit odd that essentially they've decided that if you're playing Blood Angels or Dark Angels, you're playing Blood Angels or Dark Angels. If you're playing your successor, well, bad luck. Yeah. I'm going to say, having read the Dark Angels book now, I will never again complain about being a, a Grey Knights player when no one else is playing Demons, when you could be a Dark Angels player when no one else is playing Fallen. Yeah. Because they get benefits against Fallen. I've never, ever seen a single person play a Fallen army. So, <laughs> No, I probably... Even as a cast player, I probably wouldn't use Fallen. Yeah, I'll yeah. be honest. Cypher is fantastic, but yeah. not really. Yeah, so. Not for me. But I mean, the, the other abilities are all right. So I think Rivers are all where they don't lose... They never lose more than one figure to morale for example is that's that's pretty good especially that's good for me when I'm used to playing guard and used to losing a whole bunch of figures due to morale yeah uh, even without playing conscripts but uh, now I think Bell of Lost Souls did a really nice article recently where they compared what was new for both Blood Angels and Dark Angels and sort of gave their verdict on which book they thought was the stronger not necessarily the better army just got you know offered more to, more a, to a player as such you know and they they, they felt it was the, the Blood Angels the Blood Angels got more particularly because of the variety of their psychic powers. Yeah, the Dark Angel psychic powers. I did have a look through those, and I have to say I'm not impressed. Okay, yeah, so... Yeah, really not impressed. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've said before... Though, like, a couple of them do synergize well together. There's, I think there's one which you have to do a leadership test or you take wounds, and there's another one which lowers their leadership permanently. Yeah. So you hit them a couple of times with that, and then you can really dish out the wounds. But by then, they're probably dead anyway, or, or nerfed beyond ridiculousness. Yeah. You know? Well, it does seem like quite a viable tactic with several armies is like the mind war psychic power equivalent where you make a leadership test opposed and then if you, the person that rolls lower takes mortal wounds equal to the difference so you, you use things that completely debuff their leadership like you know, Eldar dealt with Hemlock Wraith fighters for example to drop the leadership and then you, yeah, you drop, them, with Night Lords. drop a mind war on them as well and then suddenly they're, they're taking large scale mortal wounds but um, yeah like I, I think it's alright I've, I've said before on the show I've always wanted to do a Dark Angels army it just happens that every single time I've been into playing 40k one yeah, other well, friend has I'm been I'm just going to say Angels. this friends yeah. don't let friends play Ravenwing you don't what's your problem with Ravenwing I mean other than the fact that I don't like painting black because I've got several black armies already what's your problem with Ravenwing spit it out Mike I just feel that it's a bit of a cop out yeah essentially White Scars are supposed to be the preeminent lightning warfare specialist yeah the, the bikers for one as well the bikers yeah. the jet bikes everything they're supposed to be the best at it yeah. and yet dark, a single company of the dark angels not even their entire focus is better at it than they are which just sucks yeah I mean I wouldn't necessarily say better at it in terms of the fluff Oh. In, in the rules they might seem stronger right now because they've literally got a whole codex which has stuff around them. which White Scars will yeah. never receive yeah that's right well they're already covered in the um, in, uh, in, in the standard in Space, Space Marine codex as well yeah I mean certainly a lot of people sort of questioned I don't remember off the head now what the White Scars ability was but a lot of people did question why they got that particular ability and certainly some chapter abilities like so we look at the fact that oh. when we, so we played Salamanders the other day okay? yeah, now, Salamanders, Salamanders get to every single unit with the Salamanders keyword gets to re-roll one hit and one wound 
every single time they shoot or fight. It was actually, and this is the thing, we, we only did it for shooting, but it's shooting and fighting as well. Yeah, so we, which so made powerful. it even more powerful. Yeah, as opposed to like, say, Imperial Fist, where they ignore cover. Yeah. You know, and re-roll think. damage against buildings. Yeah. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, that was like, that was a really powerful one, I would say. Oh, that, 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 that was. That Salamander's one too. Yeah. So. That many re-rolls on top of the substantial amount of bonus re-rolls and, and you know, Marines get already for having commanders nearby. Do you remember that I haven't something I mean, I haven't actually tried playing it. If I was playing something you know, you know how I would roll dice as well, just to be yeah. a, a dick. Um, if I was attacking with a unit that had mixed weapons, I'd roll all the dice at once, but put different colours in to represent different weapons and such. Like, yeah. okay, all my, my all my green green dice are my regular attacks, my reds are my las cannons, and my blue is my plasma cannon, for example. And that way, I because I found this when Steve was playing the day, so he'd attack all the bolters first. And he'd get a couple of misses, but he would be saving his reroll for when he fired the heavy weapon. And then when he got the heavy weapon, he hit with it, so he effectively lost the reroll. Yeah. So I'd be rolling them all at once again. Okay, yeah. I'm going to reroll that. I, I, I have to say, I do the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking that, but I didn't say anything because <laughs> he was absolutely caning the shit out of me already. It's, uh, didn't it, need any assistance. It, it's funny because I I watch every time they bring out new facts for 40k and they talk about um, you know why they've changed the rules and what they're doing and. I've got this theory that I think about half the rule changes they put out are because they've worked out yes these things are unbalanced you know, they're, they're, this, yeah. this, this just isn't well you know, there's a design problem here we'll fix this bang it's all well good and the other half of the rules changes are just because people are jerks you know it's just because you know they just got to clarify rules because people deliberately misinterpret it yeah. and I saw a great example the other day as well in a, in a video where and this is this is such a dick move so most, I'm sorry to talk a lot about the 40k game here. I know we don't hear about the RPGs, but right now this is this is our life right now. So we're going to talk about it. Um, so in in Eighth Edition 40k, you've got stratagems, cards that you can play during the game uh, in order to give you some benefit. And uh, some of these cards will say this card can only be used once, or once per turn, or once per game, or otherwise you can use it whenever. But you can never use the same stratagem more than once per turn. But some stratagems can be used more than once at the start of the game. Now, most Codex chapters, so, or Codex Army so far, have an ability where every single Codex Army, when it's Battle Forge, gets to take up Relic. And there's a, there's a stratagem card they have which, for one stratagem point, allows them to gain a second Relic. Or for three stratagem points, allows them to gain two extra stratagem Relics. And some people have gone into tournaments arguing, okay, I'm going to play it once for one point to get an extra Relic. I'm going to play it again for one point to get an extra relic. Yeah. You know, and it's like... It's and so they had to put in the FAQ, this card can, can only be used, be used once, once per, per game. game. Exactly right, yeah. And it's like, it is so obviously the way it was meant to be as such. And uh, like the one I, I look at right now, as a, so someone's playing Imperial Guard. I, I've observed the fact that Imperial Guard are quite powerful in this edition. And there is this current broken rule that everyone is pushing 40k about, which is the relic called the Relic of Lost Cadia. Yeah. Okay. And the Relic of Roscadia says, okay, at the start of the turn, reveal the Relic of... Like, one of your figures reveals Relic of Roscadia. For that turn, re-roll all attack roll... All, all, all misses, basically. All misses are one or something like that. It's, it's, I think it's all misses or all wounds, whatever the case may be. It's all misses, yeah. Yeah, it's actually... Sorry, it's all misses and wounds for people within 12 inches of the Relic Holder, for example. Yeah. Now, when I first read that, I interpret that as, okay, you reveal it, it's revealed, it's done. Okay. But people point out it doesn't actually say once per once game. per game. It doesn't even say at the start of your turn. 
So people are saying, okay, so it's my opponent's turn. Okay, this turn, once again, I reveal the relic, so all my Overwatch attacks I can re-roll, you know, when you charge my troops this And turn. I, in the fight phase, I get to re-roll all my stuff. Yeah, exactly right, yeah. yeah. I, I, I think it actually is specifically shooting, maybe, but I'll have to look it up. I haven't memorised it, but certainly... Um, and, and people pushed DW for this, and there was, a fact has come out since this issue has come to light, and it wasn't, it wasn't addressed. So some people are arguing that, well, okay, well, it's obviously working as intended that you can use it every single turn. Um, and they haven't <laughs> said anything, so it must be okay. Exactly right, yeah. <laughs> I'm turning up to work naked, but no one's told me I can't do that, so it must be all right. The fact that no everyone's too embarrassed to look you in the eye and talk to you about it has nothing to do with it. <laughs> Yeah, so, uh, you know, and that is a driver. Like I said, I reckon half the changes they put through since this game came out is simply to address the whole don't be a dick issue because some yeah. people just. Well, win at all cost gamers have always been an issue and they always will be. Yeah, and, and that's funny. Like, I mean, I, I'm, I'm a fluff army builder. I, I, I like to build an army. Oh, yeah, yes, Mr. Gulliman, gunline, everything stands around him. Yes, fluff builder. <laughs> I see Gulliman going out and leading 50 guys at a time. That seems so fluff strong. You, you, you didn't see that. You didn't see Gulliman walking out there with six Razorbacks or with assault cannons <laughs> like, like some competitive lists have been. Yeah. I, I yeah. actually had a mixture of stuff there. It just happened that they were all well buffed by Gulliman. Uh, yeah, they, they also recently, Games Workshop, released some beta rules. Yep. Yeah, so they've suggested these beta rules, which is a nerf to smite because they feel it's being abused. For so smite spam armies, particularly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right, yeah. And, and also, um, this is one about the special, the targeting special characters. Targeting special characters, and yeah. you can no longer have, you know, it, it's no longer a case of if there's two special, if there's two characters nearby, you yeah. have to target the closest one. If they're both characters, you get to choose. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Which, so it, 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 yeah, it's exactly right. Basically, what it says is that it is. It, yeah, it's yeah, just stop it, the Calixus assassin blocking line of sight to yeah, other people. You have to target. You have to target. You only target the character to the closest model, but you don't count other characters for working out whether it's the closest model or not. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and also, they specified the wounds characteristic, not the wounds, because some people are arguing like, "Oh, yes, my dear prince has twelve wounds. Oh, he's taken three damage." Can't target him now. Paskin is in his Lehman Ross. He's taking a couple of wounds damage. Oh no. You can't target it anymore. Exactly right, yeah. So. You have to shoot those six conscripts standing in front of the tank. You can't see the tank all of a sudden. Yeah. But no, I mean, look, I, I am trying to build more fluffy armies. And certainly, this is one of the things I like about the attachment rules now is you've got this sort of concept of the troop tax. Yeah. Where you know the, the the reward for making a fluffy army is you get more strategy because you have a more diverse group you're fielding, and the way that that's managed is with these these bigger sort of detachment types like a battalion or a brigade which give you the most points. You've got to take three troops or six troops, you know, and, and taking six troops is really what governed my Imperial Guard army when I built it for this new list. Was okay, I've got to have six squads of guys now that's still pretty cheap for Imperial Guard that's probably still less than 500 points I've still got a lot more to play for everything else but you know I've got to work out how they fit into my army and you know what the but I like it so um it's pretty about it on the on the 40k so I think we're going to see Chaos Demons coming in January yeah Codex Demons coming out in January hopefully there'll be some more fluff in that and a bit of an expansion they've teased the release of a new uh, Beast of Nurgle Demon model yep which is well overdue. Yep. Um, so hopefully we see some other demon model releases for the other gods. Get a bit of love, maybe Slanesh. Actually, let me ask you: What do you think about um, the easy build models? These press fit models now they're doing. Oh, number of debates I've had about this. 
With whom? <laughs> on, on Facebook, mostly. Really? Okay. In groups, I mean. Yeah. Did, you, Thomas, did you read the comments? Is that what you did? Were you reading the comments and you no, felt compelled no. to reply? No. Someone on the internet was wrong. No, <laughs> okay. no. It, it, it's usually arguments which come out the same way. What do people think about about push-to-fit models? I think they're terrible. You know, Now we don't have as much customization options. It's, God, it's a garbage excuse. So, Mike, I'm going to ask you, what do you think about the push-to-fit models? I've got no problem with them at all. Okay, yeah. It gets people into the hobby quicker and cheaper. That's always good. More players is good in every possible way. Yeah. For conversion purposes, I see no difference between converting a push-to-fit model and converting a character model and converting an old lead model. Back in the day, we didn't have multi-part plastic kits that were any good. Yeah. You know? Really, is there a loss? No, I don't think so. So I, I think people are just kicking up a stink over nothing. I, I, I'm going to go further. I don't mind. I'm going to go. I quite like. I quite like the push of it models. Okay, and there's a few reasons for them, other than the fact that they're cheaper. Okay. Oh yeah. Yeah. F- first off, is that some of the models they've chosen to do are models that are otherwise relatively expensive or, or quite niche in their use. Yeah. So, for example, they've done primaris aggressors. Now, I bought some primary aggressors. They're up there on my on my box of as you can see. They're my, my primary aggressors. Yes, yes, I can and, see them. Yeah, I'm looking at them now. Right now, yeah. and, and they can be bought in two configurations. One configuration is with the um, the box torn gauntlets and then the the uh, frag storm launches on top. The other one is with the flame storm gauntlets. Yeah. And I really agonised when I built those ones over what style that I want to do because it's I think it was a seventy dollar box set for three miniatures, you know. And I ended up going with the bolt storm gauntlets because I wanted to have the missile launches on top as well. Yeah. Uh, well, sorry, grenade launches. Uh, but now they have this press to fit, you know, flamestorm guys. I'm like, totally buying some of those. They're cheap. You know, um, it's those. like me with the uh, Myfic Blight Horse. So we, we had talked a little bit earlier about the cost of things in Australia. Yeah. Buying a vehicle for an army is usually going to set you back about 70 bucks yeah. minimum. You can pick up a Myfic Blight Hauler for $35. Yeah. You know, well, I'm going to have three of them. <laughs> Absolutely, I'll have a load yeah. with three. Uh, the other thing is, like, there's also the um, Redemptor Dreadnought as well. Yeah. Now, you know, if you're happy with the fact that you know, with that weapon choice, it's well, so much cheaper than the full scale Dreadnought. Well, that's it because the Redemptor kit, the original Redemptor kit's over a hundred pieces. Yeah, and it's got. I mean, it's got. It's got some points of articulation where you can open the sarcophagus lid, for example, but. I'm not sorry about that. When I build Angrayers, I glue the doors closed, even though you can actually have them... Because I don't want to paint the inside of it. You know, I'm, I don't, I don't and also, the more moving open. pieces you have, the more moving pieces there are to break. Exactly right, yeah. Be... Um, but the main reason I quite like these figures is because with all these Presta Fits, they have come out with basically new poses. So even if I had taken my three aggressors and built them with flamestorm gauntlets, I could go and buy these new three aggressors and put them safely side by side in the same squad, you know, or right next to each other, and they will be six individual figures. Yeah. You know, um, with my uh, intercessor so far. So I have bought, I bought the intercessor that came with um, the the main box with Dark Imperium. Okay. I got the intercessors that came with um, known and not known fear the other one the the smaller one. Uh, Strike force. Yeah, there was like there was there was those two. There was no no fear and um yeah, the, the, those you know the, the the cheap the small box sets one yeah but they they were different ones okay yeah I I got the free assessor that came with a white dwarf I got the 30th anniversary or 40th anniversary whatever it was edition 30th anniversary edition one that came that was like 65 bucks you know uh so, but every single intercessor I've got and I, and I bought the box of ten like the, the ten maker intercessors every single one oh, 
that box of tennis was was two was two set to five or seven. In most cases, every single figure I've got is unique. Yeah. You know, I, I haven't got the whole situation of you know his you know of my of my thirty guys. You know, every it's it's actually six times five of the same guy. Yeah, you know, um, I, I quite like that, and that the yeah. fact that you got these cheap pressure models really does help do that. Yeah, too. I think that's potentially the only issue with the these quick build models yeah. is if they release something with only quick, quick build, build models, models. because it, yeah. then every single unit is going to look exactly the same, um, which some people won't like. But again, as I said, converting models up, you know, a quick head swap or an arm move, you know, five minutes work really. Yeah. it's not that bad. Let me ask you a question, Mike. Just, I want you to theorise here. It's completely off the models topic for a moment. Um, so right now, um, this edition has been out since June, right? and we've seen, what have we got? Uh, Space Marines? Ten Chaos, codexes. Ten, well, ten codexes. Do you think we will see every codex before this edition is done? Yes. You think they'll get through it, you know? Yeah, I think they'll get through all the codexes plus some which we've not seen before. Yeah, I, 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 I personally don't. A lot of people speculate that they won't still. I think they will. No, I, I think that there'll be some things that won't get to get their own codex. Yeah, I, like, I think there will be an Imperial Soup codex which will be Inquisitors, Sisters of Battle and Death uh, Death, Death Watch all together. You think? I, 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 I think I, they'll I just see... lump them together as one codex because... The issue is, I mean, plastic sisters, plastic sisters of battle, come up as a, as a regular topic. When are they releasing? When are they releasing? The, the main reason they changed to plastic for most stuff is because they had metal at the time, and they yeah. released one box set, and then they slowly released stuff to replace it over and over and over again. With sisters of battle, if they want to release it again as plastic, they have to release an entire range: yeah. assault squads, ret- um, standard. Infantry squads. Uh, so yeah, so battle sisters, seraphim, from, um, dom- uh, dominators, um, and uh, retributors. Yeah, I think it's, yeah, yeah. Plus their rhino. Plus. Well, the rhino's already a plastic kit. Their rhino uh, and the immolator is a plastic yeah, kit. Penitent engines. Yeah. All of it. They've got to replace re- sisters redemptor, redemptia, yeah. whatever they're called. All of them. You've got to replace everything, and that's. A, a big, lot, big of, a lot of work, yeah. See, I mean, I, I can see them doing a Sisters of Battle codex, but I, I do think things like, um, ag- like Agents of the Imperium, like uh, Custodes and Sisters of Silence and, and assassins. In- Inquisitions, Assassins, they could all get rolled together, rolled together, yeah, uh, into a single one, you know. Because I mean, really, speaking, because that's what Imperium Two really is. I, I mean, Imperium Two, the Index was pretty much Imperial Guard plus everything else. Yeah, uh, and I think everything else is, is a bit more than just. Uh, one book, but we'll see. I mean, uh, Dark Elder certainly needs some love. You know, oh. I, I watched my first Dark Elder edition game of the day, and the, and the Dark Elder got absolutely okay. d- destroyed. So, what do you think are going to be the next codexes after Demons? Uh, there's actually been some. Um, oh, there was a speculation. Leak? So, speculation? Not, 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 not a leak. Some people went through and they looked at what was included in Chapter Approved. Because, for example, when Chapter Approved came out, there was new rules for a whole bunch of armies, okay? But there was no new rules for things like Blood Angels and Dark Angels because it was already announced that they had new stuff coming out, you know? Yeah. And, and, and so I actually went through and analysed... Um, I, don't, I don't know if it was to do with, with Chapter Approved or something else, but they basically said, look, you know, th- this thing has come out and it's got something for everything except for these things. I'm trying to remember what it was. I think one of them might have been... Oh, it was um, Tower and Necrons. Tower, Tower and Necrons were the two that had were noticeably missing certain things. 
okay. in whatever it was that they were talking about. And, and so the people that speculated probably Town Necrons will be the next two. You know, and I'm really surprised. I mean, Orcs are the ones I, th- I would have thought would have been out by now because Orcs are a, they're a key faction yeah. in the game. Really, they are. But that said, they're actually pretty good. Yeah, you've seen some battle reports of, of Orcs with a well-built army and I'm not, I'm not going to use the example of the army you played against um, hey that guy might listen to the show you never know so yeah, well, pray, pray for Stomper Mike <laughs> um, they're scary yeah. orcs are good yeah they're, they're certainly a, a really good army as well yeah. so they've I, got I, some they've got some really nice stuff I think like they're not going to do a codex for Anari because Anari right now is three figures and everything else they get is from the craft worlds and Drakari so yeah but that's the sort of thing where they could release a codex and all it is is just a book with units taken from the other books slapped together in one book yeah but this is just a cash grab book that doesn't feel like the new GW to me though Mike <laughs> I'm going to come out and support it that's, that, that's the old GW you're thinking about not the new GW well the only reason I don't see the Inari book coming out is they have to release the Dark Elder book first yeah that's true to steal units from the Dark Elder book you've got to actually have a Dark Elder book exactly right so Inari eventually um, personally I think Tau, Necrons, Orcs and Thousand Suns are yeah, I mean, my I, next four I don't want to, I don't want to surprise you I haven't seen it in Space Wolves I mean given that Space Wolves are such a favoured a favorite. I know, I know not, not favoured by you or I, but they are a favoured. They're a favoured group, and I'm surprised. You, you know what? I'm going to put it out there. Yeah. I think Space Wolves are unfavoured by anyone who doesn't play Space Wolves. <laughs> That's pretty obvious, yeah. So. If you like Space Wolves, you play them. If you don't like Space Wolves, you don't. And I think there's a lot more people who don't. Yeah, I, I gave you my, my mini theory recently, didn't I? Yeah. Yeah. So this is just my, so my sister recently bought a, a new mini. It was in the car brand mini. And uh, I said to her, like, I'm pretty sure that if you took any any five cars, put them side by side, the only reason you would choose to buy the mini would be because one of your one of your key requirements is is a mini. Like, you know, it will never be the fastest or the cheapest or the most economical or the know, most luxurious <laughs> yeah, right, yeah, or, or the, the smallest or yeah, the biggest. Exactly or... right. it, will, it will always be just the mini, and and, and, and she, it's true. She's a, she loves mini, so she bought the mini. So. Maybe it's the same way with Space Wolves. You know, you bring any five chapters together, and I've, you know, I, I can see myself doing multiple chapters, but I don't see myself any time buying Space Wolves. But as I said many times... Yeah, but you, like, see, you see, it's not... Is it a Space Wolf? Yeah. The, the question is, does it have Frost, Wolf, Fang, Storm things in it? Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, everything, every unit has some combination of those words. Look, I mean, I say I don't buy Space Wolves because I don't like painting faces, but in reality it's because I'm a redhead, I've already made my children redheads. I don't. I don't feel the need to, you know, punish more things in the universe with red hair like most space wolves have. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I see. I yeah, see. That's it. yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, so that's it from the forty k news side. Uh, computer game wise, I think we've seen. Oh, well, so, well no, what's this? that was new, the new Horus Her- um, the new Horus Heresy game. Uh, real time betrayal at cap. Real time strategy or something, yeah, or, or turn based strategy. Turn based strategy betrayal at cap. Yeah, yeah. One, one, I can't remember. Like, like, all, all the trailer really was was it, like an ultramarine fighting a um, word bearer. A word bearer. Yeah. Um, they have released some additional stuff now, showing showing it off a bit more. And they've shown off how the VR system will work for it. Oh, that's right. They're kind of going for VR. They, they were going right. for VR, and we were looking at it going. How the hell do you make a, a turn-based strategy game in, 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 in VR? VR? Actually, but they, so. they have, and I've seen some shorts of it. it looks yeah. pretty good, actually. Actually, okay. it looks pretty good. Okay. Nice. I, I don't know if it's going to be good or if it just looks good, you know. But 
Yeah, I mean, if it's VR, That's I'm sure it. people out there will buy it. You know, oh, and, and if and if people who don't really play 40k buy it because it's VR, then all yeah, more power to them because they might get some more people actually yeah. getting behind 40k as well. So yeah, but it's just a little. By the looks of it, it's a little independent game company that yeah. picked up the license for Betrayal at Calf. Yep. As we talked about how they do licensing nowadays. Yep. And right. Yeah. <laughs> they do it right now. Yeah. 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 Um, so. And. You know, if they do well, hopefully they'll get a bigger license and they'll release a bigger game, which is better. Yep. Yeah. Forty yeah. K movie. <laughs> <laughs> so much better forty K movie. Yeah. Although I will say I don't I know I'll be cautious here because I don't know if this has been done legally. But there is a uh, an audio book um, called Hell's Reach, which has been written by three three barrel writer name that you already know Mike. Aaron Dimbowski Bowden. Yeah, whatever it is, yeah. So yeah. Um, which is about a Black Templar chaplain, yeah. and somebody has taken that on YouTube and animated. Um, they've animated it. And it's fantastic. It's, it's really, really well done. If yeah. you just look up Hell's Reach on on YouTube, you'll Elpson find it. is one of the better books. Also, in relation to that, um, Aaron Dembowski Bowden mentioned on his Facebook page that he has just finished doing some writing for Wrath and Glory. Yeah, I think that was announced in one of the early um, in one of the earlier. Uh, 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 Designer Diaries, he was mentioned there as well. Well, he's, he's now announced that he's finished his work okay. on it, so, you know, and, and at least some of the fluff for the book he's written. Yeah. I also think that, that somewhere around the internet I've seen a screenshot of some of the writers of Wrath and Glory playtesting it via, like, Roll20 or something like that, you know, and, and he was included in the people that were playtesting it as well, so... Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I didn't know he was with the project as well, but certainly that's um, that, that's really good. It's, it's nice that they've got some really good fluff producing writers behind it as well because yeah. you know I mean like the guys that the people I knew were working on it are also fantastic writers but I mean getting people behind the actual novels too is a great idea yeah so. definitely alright well let's actually close out the news section now and start talking about Wrath and Glory specifically and what we heard over recent weeks yep knowledge is power hide it well okay so let's actually start talking about those uh, announcements we saw in uh, in November and December for Wrath and Glory so First off, the one in November we'll start with was regarding the system, yeah. uh, and we already knew from an earlier designer diary, or from actually from Revelations, I think it was, or, or at least discussion during Gen Con, that it was going to be a D6, D6 dice pool based system. We know now that it's a success driven system, so similar to what you might see in something like a Shadowrun. All right, so which is a little disappointing. I was hoping for a system where it was bouncing dice off of the table into a glass of beer. But I suppose this will do. No, yeah, that's because you've been living in Australia for too long. That's why. Uh, but anyway, so it's a on, a on a dice roll of four or a five is a success, or what the scientist calls an icon. Mm-hmm. And a roll of a six is an exalted icon, which actually counts as two successes. Two successes. So you're averaging more than half a success per dice. Uh, so point seven three. Point seven three. Point seven three per per dice exactly. Yeah. So. Uh, that would mean that you know if you're rolling say you know ten dice you would expect to get seven successes as an example. Seven point three successes. Seven point three. Well, <laughs> as an example, Mike, you could get one success. You could get two successes. You could actually get. I suppose if you're rolling ten dice, it's possible to achieve up to twenty successes if you roll all sixes. Yeah. Um, so I don't know where that's derived from, but most dice pool based systems tend to build the pool out of combining multiple things. So we look at, for example, like Shadowrun, you combine a characteristic score with a skill. Uh, same with, say, White Wall systems. They also build dice pools out of... Stat skill, stat plus skill, equipment, yeah. or bonuses. Yeah, sometimes you get bonus dice from other stuff as well. That's right. So we can assume this is probably something similar. 
to that. And like previous 40k game lines have had, you know, the dichotomy between stats and skills. I mean, that, that's a pretty t- pretty typical role playing game mechanic is to have one pool of numbers represents your raw ability, one represents your training as such. Yeah. So uh, now there are a couple of things I mentioned else in that uh, article as well about how the dice pool mechanic works. So they talk about something known as shifting successes. So this is a, a, the, the dice that roll a six can be shifted in order to gain additional success. So the way this sounds to me is like it, you know, say for example I'm rolling ten dice and I need to get I don't know what five successes, okay, and I roll eight successes. That, that eight successes is not necessarily any better than rolling five successes. It's better than rolling four, which would be a failure. Now. But perhaps it's the number of sixes I roll that are used to govern the quality of my success. Like if it's a case of, you know, do I pick up just the more information I need or do I, you know, get extra information? That They use the example that shifted sixes or shifted exalted icons in combat, for example, leads to dealing more damage. Yeah. So I guess sort of like a, a critical hit or, or, or such. So uh, that's one mechanic. Then also, in the pictures they show, that it was all black dice, they had one red dice. And they explained that there is one dice rolled every time you roll, which is called the Wrath Dice. And a roll of one on the Wrath Dice creates what they call a complication, which could be some sort of, I don't know, narrated penalty or whatever the case may be. Uh, and then a roll of six on the Wrath Dice, as well as still counting as two successes, and being able to be shifted like any other six can, may have some additional... Other boon as well. Additional bonus as well. Yeah. Similar to the old D6 Star Wars system. The old, the old wild dice system. Wild dice system, yeah. Now, now that's, I mean, it's interesting you mention that because that system is a system which has been um, many times has been criticised. Yeah. Um, because it gives you a one in six chance of completely screwing up the whole thing. Yeah, well, I mean, it, well, okay, let's rephrase it. It's a one in three chance of something unusual happening. Yeah. Okay. Um, now, I guess it depends on how mechanically minded that that penalty or benefit is. So, for example, um, the Star Wars is a bit different because Star Wars, you weren't, you weren't trying to generate successes, you were trying to generate a maximum number. Uh, and, yeah, sure enough, if you got a one on the wild dice in, in the old Star Wars West End system, then the GM was encouraged to come up with some sort of narrative penalty to represent why you, you know, how that it actually worked. And the thing would be that uh, a lot of times the GM could, couldn't think of something up, and so a lot of people came up with this sort of house, whatever it was a house rule or an actual rule, but it basically became a case of if you didn't know what to do, if someone rolled a one, then you didn't count that one on achieving the top number, and you also remove the highest dice. So if I've rolled, you know, two sixes and a one, and the ones on the on the wild dice, I've actually rolled a six because I took away the second six and the one, which actually means that it's a high chance that that one has actually removed your ability to succeed. Yeah. Whereas if you look at the dice pool mechanic as they've described it in this designer diary, you could have enough successes that you have beaten whatever the difficulty is but you've also got a complication so can that complication override your success or do you still succeed like use the example of um okay my character wants to you know sneak across a uh, an area that's patrolled by guards so i'm going to roll something like dexterity and stealth for example and um i suppose it's 40k so it should be agility it should be agility, agility and stealth sorry because it's a 40k sitting here I don't, know, I don't know what, what attributes you're going to use, for example. That's just an example. Um, okay, so I might succeed, which means that I have managed to get past that area without being observed, 
but could a complication be something like I've dropped something on the way you know and suddenly I realise oh my god I've dropped my toolkit out there and so I either need to go on without it and risk it being found or I need to go out there and get it in which case I risk being seen again that sort of thing you know so I, I've achieved what I really set out to do but something has narratively become a become a concern for example yeah um so yeah, I, I, I'm more in favour if it's a case of if it's like that where it's more of a narrative, narrative thing. But, yeah. problem rather than. Likewise, I hope that there is a fallback solution where the GM can't always think of something to do, which doesn't just involve okay, well that you pretty much don't don't, don't succeed then, you know, like oh, it, it takes it, it takes away a success, like it cancels success. I, I, you know, they White Wolf quickly realised that just cancelling successes with a one was not a cool way to sort of handle a success based system. So um, well, that yeah. was always the problem. I'm glad that the one and one system on the rock on the raft dice only occurs on one dice. Exactly. Unlike something like the White Wolf system, where every time you, you know, roll a pool of dice and roll three ones, that cancels three successes. Because it, yeah. it was just a bit too much. So I, I want to look at it a different way for a moment. I want to compare it to another game system, and one we've been playing recently being the Star Wars system. Okay, so well, let's go back to even D and D. Okay, so you're rolling a D20 to hit somebody, for example. That will, In D&D, that produces a binary outcome. You hit or you miss. Yes, there is the potential third option of a critical hit, for example. Okay, but it's really one axis of development as such, from miss to hit to potentially critical hit. Only, you will only ever achieve one of those outcomes whenever you roll that dice. Okay? Compare that to the Star Wars system we currently have from FFG. Okay, so there are actually three axes. So one axis is the success or failure. One axis is the threat and advantage. And one axis is the um, despair and triumph. So you could achieve a role which produces any result in any of those three axes, including no result. Which is counts, actually counts as a failure and success fail axes, but you know, you could have so you could have a success with threat and a triumph, or a success with threat and a despair, or a success with advantage and a triumph. All these sort of things come out as such, and they all have a narratively different outcome. So you've basically got, you know, keeping aside over succeeding, you know, like getting more successes than are required, or, or how many advantages you've got, you straight away you've got nine different possible outcomes. Okay, so let's look at, for example, the Wrath and Glory system now. So, you've got a, a, a scale of no success to success. You've got a scale of no shifted dice to shifted dice. And you've got a scale of uh, complication through to whatever you call a six on a, on a Wrath dice, for example. So, you once again, you've got a three-axis system, which presumably could produce nine possible results. Like, you know, I... I Although, you couldn't fail and shift dice, I guess, so that's probably one yeah. sort of possibility that's eliminated as such. But, so you could you could fail with a complication, fail with a six on the wrath dice, succeed with a complication, succeed with a six on the wrath dice, succeed with a shift and a complication, succeed with a shift and a six on the wrath dice. So there's still quite a lot of different, I guess axes for how you can interpret that dice roll. I have to say it's a little bit better than the Star Wars system because it makes it easier for the GM to interpret the dice. You don't have to go thinking, okay, so how am I going to describe a failure with threat and a triumph? Yeah. You know, that's a pretty hard description to give. 
Yeah. You only really have to worry about that sort of stuff when it's a success. Yeah. Which makes it a lot easier. You don't have to start working out, well, okay, how's it an advantage and a triumph even though they completely failed? Yeah, that's true. You don't have to worry about, which is a lot harder than working out, okay, they've succeeded but not quite right, or they've succeeded better than expected. That's a lot easier to work out than they've failed better than expected. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> How the hell does that work? That's it. So I'll be interested to see when the game comes out. First off, is there you know up, uh, is there encouragement of the GM to basically open up outcomes from these three axes and, and sort of produce those multiple different potential you know uh, intentions? And more importantly, is there a mechanic in there which gives the players agency over how they interpret those actions as well? You know, can the players decide how what, what they do with the shifted dice, or is that something that the GM basically just arbitrarily decides what does over success mean? Because in some cases, it's hard to I find as a GM uh, come up with much when players do overachieve in some dice rolls. It's like you know, do you you know, you're, you're scrabbling to to catch the ledge before you fall off a cliff? Does it matter if you succeed with ten successes versus one success? You know, I suppose maybe there's, you're able to grab other stuff that might be falling, or another person that might be falling. But the GM something got to try and find out, work out ways that you can do more than you set out to do just because you rolled a high number of dice. Yeah. Uh, which you'll get when you get people who have a high dice pool for whatever reason, if whether it's characteristic and skill based, and they've got a high in both, or whatever the case may be. Um, you know, there, there will be situations where you give a, the, the group all a relatively easy difficulty, and one person who's skilled at that particular thing achieves a very high outcome. So, yeah, we're going to see how that turns out. But, I mean, Mike, just from what we know of the system, does it make you more confident, less confident? Um, yeah, I'm quite confident with it. Yeah. I think I'll, I'll need to see the Wrath Dice. I'll, I'll, need, I'll, I'll need to really see the system and, and actually play it a couple of times and all that sort of thing. I'll be honest, it'll never be as easy a system as a percentile system. Yeah. Percentile systems are probably the easiest system to explain to a player. You roll a percentile, either it's success or it's failure, you just look at one number, is it bigger or smaller than another number? Yeah, Easy. But, but then you've got to put it actually modifiers, and then you modify well, your dice roll. Yeah, I know, but, but generally speaking, it, it's pretty easy. Yeah. Pretty straightforward. The, this one does involve working out a dice pool, working out how many successes, counting things up, and, and, and calculating. So it is going to have a bit more of a learning curve than the old system. Yeah. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's worse or better. It just means it's different. Um, We'll see how it goes. I mean, there are certainly a lot more options, like you said, with the additional axes and all that sort of thing and how you wanted to describe it. But really, at the end of the day, you've just got more more narrative descriptor of exactly what's happened. Yeah, more more stuff to use, basically, So, which I think is good. I, I think that's really the design that game designers should be going for now is... Yeah. More things to inform the narrative, not more things to inform the system. Yeah. But, uh, yeah so yeah. we'll see how that turns out. Now, the second design of Die, which was the one for December, uh, brought mention of what they call tiers. Uh, and this is something I'm really interested in seeing how they do because this is sort of. When we caught up with Ross earlier in the year and we got a chance to ask questions, um, the one I was really interested in basically finding more about was the concept of how well can you duplicate what, what exists in Black Crusade where. I can have Chaos Space Marines and human cultists working together and it doesn't suck for one of them. 
Um, <laughs> and it sounds like this is what they've got in a way with tiers. So they say that there are five tiers in the game, and the tiers are representative of the power level, both of the game itself in terms of the challenges that the group will succeed. It makes mention of the dice pools, for example, being affected by tiers, uh, but also of how powerful the characters are. So a tier one game, it gives example of things like Imperial Guardsmen or Gangers, for example. So, you know, it, I guess in a relatively small scope controlled area of the game, this would be where you would focus a tier one game. Uh, it also gives the example of a tier, in, in tier three, it mentions things like Commissars, Tactical Space Marines, and Eldar Warlocks as being something in the, in the, sort of, in the tier three range. Uh, and more importantly, the last thing the article mentions is the fact that there will be systems in place that allow, for example, a tier one character to join a tier three game and still be able to interact fairly with the other elements of the game that they, the, their fellows are interacting with at that higher, um, I guess, challenge tier. Yeah. So my just first impressions on this as a, as a sort of mechanic for balancing, what do you think? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. 100% I'm behind this. So Anything that gives you the option to... Because someone may want to play an Imperial Guardsman in a squad of Space Marines. We, we've talked about it before. Usually it occurs when people say, I, I don't want to play a male character. Yeah. It's come up several times. We've we've both played in games with people who've said that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it gives them that option then. that You can work out a way to have a sister of a battle in the squad of Space Marines or... Uh, as someone may say, I don't like Space Marines because I'm an Imperial Guard player and Imperial Guard are the best. Yeah. And it'll be a way to bring them up to the same sort of... Maybe they won't be as good, but they'll be close. At yeah. least comparable. Yeah, and that's, I think that's the important part of it, yeah. yeah so, absolutely. I mean, I remember... So when they first put out Road Trader, uh, yeah. Road, Road Trader was the first game edition that came out after Dark Heresy. And because one of the things they identified in Road Trader was the fact that even though you only had, I think, a thousand points to spend during character creation, your character was already shown to have spent five thousand points, uh, and that was designed to give you a way to mix dark heresy and rogue trader characters. Because effectively, a dark heresy character with five thousand XP was deemed to be an equivalent sort of power level to a starting level rogue trader character. Yeah. Now, in reality, that broke down really because you know, yeah. even though they had equal starting tiers invariably you know a character that they weren't really equal and you end up in situations where Death Watch characters were buying things in 500 point ranges whereas everyone else was buying them in 100 and 200 so that broke down but the intent was still there to make it work to have these sort of two things side by side and it did work well in Black Crusade not because it made it so that human characters were equal combatants with Astartes but more so that they you know, had a game environment which encouraged these groups to work together and also to, to use each other's own strengths rather than just assuming that it was something to do with a, um, you know, martial strength was the be-all and end-all of, of resolving problems in, the, in this game system. Yeah. So I do like the fact they've got this whole sort of tier thing. I mean, what have we seen so far? We saw in the um, in the Revelations book, there was sort of like a, uh, a mini-story uh, that sort of went through some of the parts that, that showed... A commissar, a sister of battle, and a space marine scout, for yeah. example. Yeah. So maybe that would be an example. They did say commissar is tier three in this in the example on the designer in tactical space marine is tier three, but maybe 
Scout could be the same, I don't know, but... Anyway, well, so. Scout might be a tune, the person's upgraded it to a three. Yeah. I'll same way we're talking about upgrading Imperial Guardsmen. Yeah. I'd be curious to see if they have sort of like a default tier, you know, because it's going to be harder for them when they actually go and produce, if they don't go and do pre-written scenarios, how they manage the multi-tier play, you know, because the scenario that you would write for a group of gangers is quite distinct from a scenario you'd write from a group of, you know, Primaris specialists, for example, yeah. toting around in Gravis armor as such, you know. It's a, so it'd be interesting how they, how they actually make that work. But I, I think that the tier mechanic looks from the outside like it would be a... Like a, it should a, work. Like it should work, yeah, exactly. And, and, and that's the one thing I'm, I'm really glad they included was the ability to have facets from all parts of 40k uh, and, and work them together. I suppose you still have the problem where somebody says, oh, I really want to play an orc, and someone else says, oh, I really want to play a fanatical Black Templar. Like well, <laughs> well, one of you is going to be disappointed. It's going to yeah. suck for one of you. That's exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> it would be a very short game for one of you. But um, yeah, we're going to see how that, how that turns out. But uh, yeah, so look, I, I feel good after these two Dishonored Diaries. I'm looking forward to what they say in January, if anything. Hopefully, they keep these Dishonored Diaries coming. And we start to see more and more of the system unfold. Yeah. Uh, once again, I'm still hopeful that we see something at Gen Con because uh, I, I'm, I'm trying to plan to get to Gen Con this year and. Straight away, that, that means probably about you know $3,000 out of pocket for me by the time I factor in what work will pay for. Yep. Uh, and I'd like to make sure it's for a, for a good reason because it really sucked with you. I went there and there was nothing to talk about when we went to Gen Con. Uh, anyway, that's probably enough to talk about for today. We've, we've, we've waxed lyrical about a lot of things 40k. And I can hear it's now starting to pour rain outside, so quickly our audio quality is going to get even lower. Yeah. But uh, hopefully, uh, well, let's, move on, let's go on to our last part of the show first before we do close it out. So we just get our feedback and everything. Okay. Okay, so this part of the show, we normally respond to any feedback or questions or responses that we've gotten in, in the past month or so, and we did actually get one after our last episode, so after we posted up episode 89, we got a comment by Michael on um, on Facebook, first off saying, thanks for the info and uh, great great information on Wrath of Glory, thanks very much for that. They also, he also asked, um, will we get back into doing covering any of the stuff regarding the FFG lines. Particularly, he was keen to hear our full take on the Harlot trilogy after we had a chat about how he handled House of Dust and Ash. Yeah. Um, he said he doesn't normally like reading about pre-written stuff, but you know, he was intrigued by the House of Dust and Ash intro and so therefore wanted to know about, a bit more about Harlot. I think we can do that. Yeah, I think we can. Probably not this episode, because we've already got a little bit, <laughs> a little bit long. No, but, we, um, we, next episode we'll do that. Sounds yeah, good. Yeah, Gives right. us something to talk about that isn't Tabletop war game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, there you go. Mike, Mike has said it, so it shall be. We will talk more about our experiences with the Harlock trilogy next episode, and, and I, I guess you know we can start talking about how easy it would be to adapt that to a, another game system like Wrath and Glory comes out. Without knowing the system, we can't really speak for much, but certainly oh, narratively we can talk about narratively the, the key points. Steal the story, yeah. and how to, I suppose, the main thing will be how to bring that story into the Dark Imperium. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, I suppose there may be some changes, and you know, we haven't seen any indication about what's happened with the Calixa sector, if anything. So we'll talk yeah. about that too. All right, but if you also have questions or comments for us, or you know, whatever abuse, um, you can do so through many ways, other than leaving it on our iTunes page. You can do that too, but also email us at show at grimdartpodcast uh, Facebook is facebook.com slash grimdartpodcast. Uh, uh, Google Plus is plus.google.com slash plus sign grimdartpodcast we tweet through at grimdartpodcast 
that's it. I've got everything. That's everything. Yes. That's everything. Yeah, yeah. Yes. No, I used to mention speak pipe, but I think no one's used speak pipe in a long time. Have so you I'm, scrapped it? Uh, well, I'm going to let it go because it, it, I, I got a bill for it again the other day, and it, I think it's I think it's cost about hundred bucks a year. So no, I think it's time to let that one go. Yeah. But uh, yeah, certainly, if you do want to contact us, please do it through the conventional methods, and we will certainly respond to your to your contact on the show. Actually, there's been a few good tweets recently. A couple of people. Um, Always, uh, some of the guys um, from other podcasts, you know, do nice shout-outs for us as well. So, uh, thank you very much to everybody who's given us a recent shout-out on Twitter as well. So that, that's always uh, that's always really cool. Yeah. But anyway, as I mentioned before, this is the last show of the year. So I hope you've enjoyed another year of Grimdark podcast. This is our fifth end of our fifth year, I think, of doing Grimdark podcast. So yeah. Wow, time flies. Yeah. And um, we will definitely get to episode one hundred next year. You know, hopefully. It may be sometime around when Wrath and Glory launches, or maybe a little bit before, depending upon whether we pick up our game. Uh, hopefully, it should be before that. Hopefully, we, uh, well, if we do, if, if we do one per month, it won't be until after it launches. But we yeah. might have to <laughs> get a speed up. Well, that, that's if it launches at uh, Gen Con, which we're both we're fairly pretty confident about. That's right. Yeah, exactly right. But um, yeah, so certainly, uh, uh, you know, if we if we can sort of get a couple of months, where we do two episodes again. That'll get us back to a hundred episodes, and we'll have a little bit of a celebration there as well. So yeah. Uh, so thank you once again for an, another year of listening to us we look forward to catching up with you in the new year in the meantime keep gaming play some 40k play some other games you know there's plenty of games that we love as well we're going to go and play Star Wars now and uh, we will catch you in the new year happy new year this podcast is not endorsed by or if dead with Games Workshop or Fantasy Flight Games Warhammer 40,000 Dark Heresy Rogue Trader Death Watch Black Crusade Only War Eternal Crusade and all associated properties are trademark and or copyright of Games Workshop Limited Fantasy Flight Games is a trademark of Fantasy Flight Publishing Inc. All other materials are trademark and or copyright of their respective owners. All original content is copyright of the Grimdark Podcast. All rights are reserved by their respective owners. Our theme music comes from Mibios Musicali, music.mibio.com. <laughs>